This morning we're going to be talking about what baptism is all about. For many, even some within the church, baptism is just a ritual of a bygone age. Maybe you've come this morning and you think a little like that. Baptism's just one of those things that churches do. As part of our series, we've been going through a series called Reflections of Splendor, and uh, this morning we're going to unpack what the Apostle Paul means when he uh, uses the phrase one baptism. And so we're going to look at just these few verses, we're going to look at this one phrase in these few verses, this is what it says in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 4 to 6, the words will come up behind me on the screen. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. You see, Paul in this passage is talking about God, the one true God. He says there's one God. And yet in the same breath, he talks about uh, God being a father, he talks about the Son, and he talks about the Holy Spirit. And all are equally God, yet each has a distinct role. One God, three persons. The Christians refer to this as uh, as the Trinity. The Trinity isn't a, a word you find in the Bible, but it's something that uh, we find throughout, written throughout, the, woven throughout the pages of the New Testament. Paul puts it like this, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What Paul is saying is that as we focus on God, as we look at God, as we see what God is like and we understand how amazing he is, one God, three persons, somehow we reflect his glory. We're transformed bit by bit into his image. So when we talk about Baptism, one baptism, one baptism. Why do we talk about one baptism when there are so many different versions of baptism? I was baptized or christened, if you like, as a baby in a congregational chapel in a little Welsh village called Aberbargoid. I I knew nothing about it, it was done to me. At 15 years old, I was baptized in a Baptist church in Swansea, in a pool similar to this at the front of a church meeting. I've seen people get baptized in the sea, in rivers, in swimming baths and pools. There have been fierce arguments over the centuries about the right way to baptize people. Baptism should be a cause of unity. And yet church history is littered with the names of people who've died because of their view on baptism. It's a subject that raises great debate when we uh, do uh, something called our Foundations course, which is an introduction to church life here. It's one of the issues that often and regularly comes up uh, following our course. But by what Paul says here, When he talks about baptism, one baptism, he is actually linking baptism to the person and nature of God. 
What I want to say to you this morning is absolutely profound. And if you get it, it will change your life forever. You see, our starting point is simple. Jesus expects those who've come to a personal faith in him to be baptized. It was the expectation of the early church. Baptism at its root isn't complicated. Two things were needed. Faith and water. Faith in Jesus' death and resurrection that they have opened up a new way for us to relate to the living God and to have a personal relationship with Him. That was Willow and Anna's testimony here this morning. They have come to faith. They put their faith in Jesus and Jesus has saved them from themselves and opened a way for them to have a relationship with a Father in heaven, as we were singing about. And the second thing that baptism involved was, is, was lots of water, and there was certainly lots of water here this morning. The early church would have been shocked by anyone asking, is it necessary for someone to be baptized? I'm already a Christian, do I need to be baptized? It would have been a little like when my uh, daughter did her uh, degree. She did a degree in fine art in Swansea, and she did a degree, and she had a graduation ceremony at the end. And she was so uh, she was disappointed in, with her uh, how things turned out, and she didn't go to a graduation. And I was I felt inside, oh no, I would have I would really have liked to have gone. And then I remembered that when I had my graduation, I did a, a postgraduate degree in in town and country planning. I mean, it sounds uh, boring. Uh, It probably was. And um, I I did a a master's degree, and then I had a graduation, and I didn't go to that. And in that moment, I felt disappointed that she hadn't gone to a graduation. I suddenly remembered that I hadn't gone to mine either. I I couldn't be bothered. And it was a, there's a, I, I, as I reflected back on it, my, I knew my parents would have wanted to go and it would have been a, a sadness for them that I couldn't be bothered. There was something about the graduation that marked what those three years, what had happened. That passing through, that I had achieved something. And there was a disappointment. Some, somehow the vibrancy, somehow some of the color out of what I'd achieved just dissipated. I obviously didn't think much of it. Baptism, there's something about baptism that is deeply significant. It is not just a ritual. It is not something that uh, people just do or go through. They don't have to do it. Baptism is an integral part of the uh, uh, life of a believer, the, uh, the initiation of someone coming to faith in Christ. They're already a believer in Jesus, but there's something about baptism that is deeply significant. You see... No one becomes a Christian by being baptized. But conversely, no true Christian should not be baptized. So Paul, in talking about one baptism, is talking about the significance of what it means. And I want to draw out three things this morning. First of all, there's one baptism because every follower of Jesus becomes a new person. Paul talks about that we have been clothed with Christ. 
Baptism is about clothing ourselves with Christ. What on earth does that mean? Well, there was uh, probably the best illustration I, I can to help you understand it. Some of you will have heard this before. But in 2010, August 2010, there was a mining disaster in the Atacama Desert in Chile. And there were 33 miners who were trapped underground. They were trapped underground for 69 days. They were trapped underground 2,300 feet below the earth's surface. There was no way out. They were stuck in the dark. There was uh, seemingly no hope of rescue. They couldn't find a way out. They were stuck. No one even knew that they were there. They, no one even knew anyone was alive. And then suddenly they were drilling holes trying to find out if there was uh, uh, anyone there. They found, they pulled out one of the, uh, the mining drills and they pulled the drill bit out and there was a note that had been taped to the drill bit saying that, basically letting them know that they were still alive. These 33 men stuck underground. There was nowhere. How were they going to rescue them? And so they devised this way of rescuing them. And what they did, they drilled a hole into the ground. They drilled down 2,300 feet. And they drilled this wide hole. And in it, they put this pod. And they lowered the pod down. And as they lowered the pod down, as they... uh, the pot that they opened and the miners were able to open it and one by one they had to step inside close the door and they were lifted to the surface one by one each one of those had to step into the pod otherwise they wouldn't be saved they couldn't rely on someone else doing it for them they had to take the step of faith themselves When Paul says that we are in Christ, that we are baptized into Christ, what he means is this, is that we associate with him. When we get baptized, we go into the water. We are associating with Jesus' death for us. It's like we're opening the door and we're stepping into the pod. And as the door is closed and as we're lifted, as we come out of the water, it's as though we are being raised to new life in Christ. Something happens in the moment that is deeply significant. We are in Christ. Being baptized into Christ is really important. There's a moment where Paul goes to a place called Ephesus, this big city, and he meet, comes across 12 people and he thinks they're Christians. And uh, But he thinks there's something wrong. He's not quite sure what's wrong. And uh, so he starts to ask them a few questions. And one of the questions he asks them is is about their baptism. And they said, oh, we were uh, were baptized in John's baptism. And he goes, ah. You see, just the fact that they'd been baptized wasn't enough. They needed to be baptized into Christ. And so he baptizes them into Jesus, in Jesus' name. When we baptized Willow and Anna this morning, we were baptizing them into Jesus' name because they are being baptized into Christ. Something We're saying something here. They are now in Jesus Christ. It's a declaration that we have become a new person, or as Paul says, a new creation. It shows that we've died to our old way of living, and now Christ is at the center of our lives. Consequently, what he says, and consequently what he Uh, wants is more important than anything else. Pleasing him is the goal of our lives from now on. 
It doesn't mean that we're going to get everything right. It doesn't mean that we're not going to make mistakes. But it does mean now that we live a different way. He is at the center. And if we really get this, everything has changed. The old really has gone. It is amazing news. And yet so many of us struggle with our past. And we use our past to avoid taking responsibility for, the, for today. Let me explain what I mean. In World War II, at the end of World War II, when the Americans and the, ja- uh, the Japanese surrendered to the Americans, there's a story of, uh, of one Japanese soldier who carried on fighting for 29 years after World War II ended. His name was Hiro Onada. And in the Philippines, he fought on in the Philippines, hidden, making forays out with a couple of compatriots, and eventually they died, and he was left on his own. For 29 years, he carried on fighting for a, a, a war that had already finished. Are we still fighting battles when the war is over? You see, if we're a new person in Christ then we need to forgive those who've offended us and hurt us. We can't be dominated by our past anymore. We've been forgiven much by Jesus Christ. God has forgiven us. He's punished His Son instead of us that we might be free. How can we hold on to unforgiveness with others? Our past is dealt with. The stains of our past are washed away the mistakes we've made, the hurt that others have done, have done towards us. Our conscience is clear towards God. Everything now is about Him and not us. And as we live out this kind of life, we reflect something of the splendor of God. But Paul is also saying as, as a new person, because we're in Christ, we're now part of the household of God. God is now our Father. We were singing about it this morning. He's a good, good Father. The Holy Spirit dwells with us, and the Holy Spirit stirs each one of us, if we're a follower of Jesus, to call God Father. We are really part of the family of God. That's why Jesus is the only way to God. How can anyone else bring us into the family of God except the one who is already part of that family? Jesus really is our brother if we're a Christian. The Holy Spirit really is a comforter and counselor. That's why unless we we are in Christ, we can never have peace with God. Unless we're in Christ, we can't have peace with God. It's only in Christ. That's why Paul says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's amazing. We are in Christ. This is what... John says, he records Jesus' prayer, and this is what Jesus prays. I want you to listen to this. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, 
may they be in us. I want you to listen to that again. Father, just as you were in me and I am in you, may they be in us. By virtue of being in Christ, we are part of the family of God. We are a new person forever. Forever. So when we talk about Jan passing from this life into the next, that's what we're talking about. It's true. In Christ forever and ever and ever and ever. What an amazing promise. That is something to enjoy. And if you are outside of Christ this morning, if you are outside of Him, it is one small step of faith to step into Christ today by putting your trust in Him. You can be a new person today. Baptism into Christ means we're a new person, but it also means we have a, secondly, we have a new purpose. Paul's promise to those in Christ is a new life, a purpose for living. What's our purpose? What drives us? Is it a desire for success and happiness? A need for approval? What's your, what drives you? An Old Testament writer says this, I have labored to no purpose. I've spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Is that how you feel? Labored to no purpose. God does not want that for us. God has, has a purpose for our lives. There's a... I was reading this morning about John Newton... John Newton was a slave trader, and uh, he came to faith in Christ. And this is what he wanted for his epitaph on his gravestone. This is what it said. John Newton, Clark, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord, Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. It's a man who had no purpose, a poor purpose. His life was going in the wrong direction. He encounters Jesus Christ. God saves him. God's grace comes to him. And he's forever changed. He has a new purpose, a new direction for his life. It's in Christ and through our relationship with Jesus Christ that we find the true purpose for living. I want you to listen to this. This is magnificent. It's Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. It's from the message version. It, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. God has a purpose for our lives. He wants us to enjoy this life to the full. And we, if we're going to do that, we need to know something of what his purpose for us is. You see, purpose gives us clear focus. 
You see, if you're living a frenetic, turbocharged life, it may be because you're not very clear on your purpose. And maybe for those this morning who are sitting there thinking, as I'm saying that, you're thinking, oh, God's not interested in me. God wants you to stop feeling sorry for yourself this morning, and he wants you to hear his great purpose for you. God was thinking about us before we ever existed. That's what Ephesians tells us. He loved us before we ever gave him a second thought. No one is is unwanted or unloved by God. We are created to share eternity with him. That is amazing. If that doesn't make us live differently, nothing will. Every day we need to worship the Father. We need to love the Son. And we need to obey the Spirit. The purpose for our lives is tied up with His great purpose. You see, He wants us to be passionate worshippers of Himself. The Westminster Shorter Catechism succinctly answers the question, what is our purpose? And it says this, The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. God is pleased when we worship him by obeying what he says and using the abilities that he's given each one of us to the best, whether that's cooking, whether that's cleaning, whether that's singing, whether that's teaching, whether that's caring, whether that's encouraging, whether that's building. He wants us to worship him in lives given over to him. He wants us to be those who put him first at the center of our days and our lives. When we're living out God's purpose for our life, we may never be rich. We may never be powerful. We may never be lauded by others. We may not even be liked. But by faith, we can know the pleasure of God. God wants us to be those who passionately worship. He wants us to have that as a core core purpose in our lives. He also wants us to live in community. You see, whatever our purpose, it always involves people because God loves people. God loves people. He's a God who is love and he loves men and women. So it's always about building community, a community where God is at the center. If we're living in relationship with God, we will make every effort to maintain the unity of the bond of peace with other believers. That's what we're told. Every effort, not an occasional effort, not when we feel like it. We reflect God's splendor when we do that. It means being quick to forgive and quick to ask forgiveness. It means speaking well of one another. It means living in peace with one another. It means admonishing the idle, encouraging the timid, helping the weak, being patient with everyone. It means serving others as God has served us as we heard about last week. God wants us to be those who live in community, who love one another. He also What's part of our purpose to be caught up in his great mission? You see, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are committed to reaching out to people because God loves people. 
And if you're here this morning and you've never given God a second thought, I want to tell you that God is reaching out from heaven to you this morning. He loves you. He loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you. God knows what it is to live in a body like ours. He was a man just like us, and yet the Bible says Jesus never sinned, never did anything wrong. He was perfect, and yet he was willing to die for us. God allowed him to be punished, and Jesus took our sin, our wrongdoing, everything that stops us coming into a relationship with a holy God. Jesus did it for us. God punished him instead of us. The Spirit, God's Spirit is at work in people's hearts, drawing people to himself. God wants us to be caught up in his great mission. That should be a purpose of our lives. Our purpose is to be passionate worshippers, to live lives for him, Our purpose is to live loving others as God has loved us unconditionally, not on the basis of what we think people deserve, but on the basis of unconditional love and grace. And God wants us to be caught up in his mission of telling people about his great love for us. He gives us a new purpose. And the last thing that baptism is about is this. Baptism into Christ. One baptism is about a new power. Someone who was recently baptized here said this. This is what they said to me. I acknowledged my faith and got it out into the open. Although life will continue with its ups and downs, challenges, joys and heartbreak, even though I have a continuing lack of understanding and feel mystified about how things are, I now feel authorized to ask for help in whatever form that may take. What this person was saying was this. Suddenly they realized they were part of the family of God. Suddenly they realized that they had a power and authority that came from that relationship with a father in heaven. When we've been baptized into Christ, we share his power and authority and that should be evident in our lives. Is that evident in your life? I remember uh, not so long ago, we got, a, we got a Hoover, and the Hoover wasn't working. And uh, Annie said to me, oh, I don't know, I think it's broken. So I, um, uh, being an expert at DIY, <laughs> I, I thought I'd, um, so I took the plug apart, and it wasn't the plug, wasn't the fuse, uh, managed to put it back together. And, um, uh, and then I started taking the Hoover apart. So I took, and, and what I found, this, eventually I found the problem. There was a blockage. Actually, inside uh, the, the long tube of the, the hoover, there was a scarf. <laughs> there was a scarf blocking the hoover. And, and he said, oh, oh, that's where it is. I wonder where that got. It was a blockage, and, and the result was that you could, there was, there was a bit of suction on it, but there was hardly anything. It would hardly, it was, it's hardly doing anything at all. You put your hand in, it would, it would barely, you could barely feel the suction. The reason was there was no power, there was a blockage. It is so easy to have blockages, blockages in our lives, preventing the power of God that is available to us in Christ 
There are blockages that stop that power working in us. You see, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, it causes a blockage, whether that be by lying, anger, stealing, unwholesome talk, bitterness, our behavior, unbelief, fear. God doesn't want that for us. And that's why Paul says to the Ephesians, we're called to put off the old and put on the new. We're to live out of who we now are in Jesus Christ. We don't need to live like that anymore. With him at the center, it will release power in our lives. You see, Paul's prayer is that we would have the eyes of our heart enlightened in order that we might know the hope we have and the incomparably great power that's at our disposal, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. What he's saying is this, is when we are in Christ, if we've come to know him, we put on Christ. As we get baptized, as we, as we do that, we're saying to every Everyone present, every power and principality, we're saying, God, I belong to him. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. I'm now part of the family of God. God is my father. Jesus is my brother. The Holy Spirit dwells within me. And as, as that happens, I now have his power at work within me. I tell you, if you believe that, I tell you, it would make our praying so different. We would really believe what, that God was going to answer our prayer. We would pray in every circumstance and every situation. We would pray expectantly because we know that God is our Father and He acts on our behalf. We would know that in every circumstance, whatever happens, God is working out His plans for our good. And so when Jan passes from this life into his presence, God is working out his good, perfect, pleasing will. We miss her, but she's gone to a better place. We believe that. It gives us confidence that when life is tough, God is still good. We should expect evidence of the Spirit's power working through us. We see so little. These truths, these truths of who we are in Christ should stir us to seek Him afresh. Paul says this, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. That's great. God's great promise. New power. So when we celebrate baptism, we're celebrating something deep and profound. One baptism. There's one baptism because we become one new person in Christ. We have a common purpose together. Loving God with all our heart and soul. Living for Him to the best of our ability. We have a destiny that goes beyond this life. Beyond the grave. We have a new power to live. Christ in us, the hope of glory. As we draw to a 
close this morning. I want to remind you, you are a new person if you are a follower of Jesus. You have peace with a holy God. Forgiveness is yours, whatever you've done, however much you've let him down. And that means because you have received such grace, you need to forgive others and let go. Are you still fighting battles? Are you still fighting a war that's long over? How sad is that? God doesn't want that for you. He wants you to lay down your arms and he wants you to come to him. He wants you to live in the light of what he's done for you, who you are, the new person you are in Christ. Maybe this morning you've never taken that step. Maybe you're like one of those Chilean miners. You're, you're stuck. There's, there's no way of rescue. There's no way you can relate to God. There's no way you can come to him. You've messed up so badly, but there is a way. There is a way. It's Christ. You step into Christ. Jesus, thank you for what you did for me. He opens the way for you to relate to God. How amazing is that? That is amazing good news. You do nothing. You step into him and he saves you. He rescues you. He takes you into the presence of his father. You become a new person. You can do that this morning. God wants you to know that he has a purpose for your life. If you feel like you have been living purposeless lives, God wants you to know he has a purpose. He wants you to live for him, whatever you do, wherever you work. He wants you to enjoy your job. He wants you to be the best you can be in the workplace. Whatever it is, whether it be a home with a family, whether it be uh, working on a shop floor, God wants you to be the best you can be. He wants you to be part of, to know that you're part of his family. He's your father. That's enough. He wants you to worship him in every way. He wants you to be part of a new community, a community that live differently. That's why we make such a big fuss about community here in the church. Because we're a new community, a community of new people, one in Christ. And there's a new power. There's a power for you to live this life. God doesn't want you to live with blockages. Maybe you're living with blockages, stuff that's clogging up your life. God wants you to let go of that today. You can do it in a moment. Wayne Grudem says this about baptism. And the truths of baptism. He says, these are truths of momentous and eternal proportion. And ought to be an occasion for giving great glory and praise to God. If churches would teach these truths more clearly, baptisms would be the occasions of much more blessing in the church. What we've been celebrating today is of momentous and eternal proportion. And it can be yours if you're not a follower of Christ. If you've not been baptized, let me say to you, get baptized. Get baptized because what you're doing, you are saying, I am in Christ. That's why we baptize by full immersion, by people going right under the water. Because you're, you're literally signifying, I have died to my old way of life. I've been buried with Christ and I'm raised to new life with him. Get baptized if you've not been baptized. But this morning, know this, you are a new person with a new purpose and a new power. That's true. The Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free.